Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, as always, I'm your host, Matt. I identify as a cis white gay man, and I'm also a Chicago resident. I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise and provide their stories and voices and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Joining us today is Karina Vargas Nunez. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself, your role here at Howard Brown, and your pronouns? Yeah, um, so my name is Karina. I use they, them pronouns. I am the queer family building coordinator, um, previously the women's health coordinator, but we recently changed our name. So, yeah, so it's now known as queer family building. Yep. Um, what was the uh, impetus for that name change? Yeah, so we've kind of been thinking about it for a while. Um, A lot of the work that we do surrounds the Alternative Insemination Program, which um, supports LGBTQ folks through the process of starting families. And a lot of our patients through that program identify as trans and non-binary or things outside of the word woman. Um, And so that name was not super affirming to a lot of our patients. Um, And in addition, our team is pretty small. We're a team of three people, um, and we don't provide direct clinical services. So also, like, the name health doesn't quite line up with what we do. Um, Yeah, you're not actually administering health care. You're helping people plan and get the resources they need, but it's not the actual doctors themselves. Yeah, we provide a lot of, like, education, a lot of support, run a lot of support groups. um, But we're not actually providing clinical care, so people would get really confused by the word health. Um, and also by the word woman, and we finally advocated to change it recently. That makes sense. We talk a lot about, on the show, about, you know, what affirming healthcare looks like and and the choice to to eliminate binary language just just makes sense. So, uh, what does a day-to-day look like in in your department? What are are your, you know, normal duties, so to speak? Yeah, so we provide a lot of patient navigation and support um, to folks that go through our AI program. So connecting them to clinical services at Howard Brown, um, to doing appointments for the alternative insemination program, um, but also if they need to things like OB care to pediatrics, and then also to outside healthcare. So a lot of folks um, need more advanced fertility treatment that we don't provide at Howard Brown. Um, And the world of family building is pretty heteronormative, pretty gendered. Um, So it's really important for us to have a program that's specifically for queer folks um, in order to kind of open up that pretty pretty gendered world. So we we try to connect them with affirming resources, which can be harder than it it seems. Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. Um, Unfortunately, it makes sense. I... I think it's this episode is interesting to me because when people think of like queer healthcare, family building is not something that comes to mind. It's usually like lowest on the list of uh, of topics related to queer healthcare. Yeah. Um, and I know, like I know for me as uh, a cis gay man, like I thought about having children, but it's something that seems like so out of reach uh, for a lot of people, you know, outside of adoption. Uh, and so uh, I'm interested. Like, do you think? Have you seen like a rise in the need for these services recently, or uh, is it just something that you know there's always been a need for? We've just not been well equipped to handle it, or um, 
I don't know because I, I as as I see like queer uh, queer rights and visibility and representation progress, I can see the need for these services progress also. Is that out of line to think that? No, I feel like it's definitely like growing. Um, our alternative insemination program actually was started in two thousand nine. So it's almost 13 years old and definitely has grown a lot since it first started. Um, But also within the city of Chicago, we're the only queer-centered family building program. Um, And that surprises me because, I mean, Chicago is the nation's third largest city. You would think that there would be at least more than one, but it really is just us. Yeah, it's really just us. So kind of creating and opening up that space is so important. And I think, like you were saying, so many people don't think that starting a family is possible for them. So supporting them through what that process can look like right. is super important. How could do you get like? How do you find clients, so to speak? Like, are they getting referred from Howard Brown's primary care? Are they getting referred from other other primary care in the city that you know they you know people know of us? Are people just googling? Like, how, how do people come across us? I think, so a lot of the patients we work with are actually first-time Howard Brown patients. Um, So I think it's a mix of looking us up online, um, but then also word of mouth. A lot of patients that have used our services in the past refer their friends or family members. Um, And so a lot of our clients find us through through word of mouth, through the internet. Yeah, and that's that's a a huge... uh, I guess, I don't know if I would use the word responsibility, but uh, I mean, being the first point of contact for somebody that has maybe never experienced Howard Brown uh, and, and, you know, it's a first-time patient, you get to handle that. Um, so you talked about the inter-alternative insemination program. Uh, part, of, part of my job as the podcast host is to put things in real layman's terms. So I, I always think of like my family back in like Southwest Michigan that like, queer anything is very foreign what is the um alternative insemination program who is it for how does that happen all of that yeah so alternative insemination really just means the process of becoming pregnant through something other than sex Mm -hmm. um and so we our alternative insemination program centers lgbtq folks but anyone is is open to go through it um but we do something called an intrauterine insemination. I obviously don't do this because I'm not (laughs) on the clinical side of things. You refer people for these. Yeah. Um, But basically becoming pregnant through an intrauterine insemination. Right, so that would, like, sperm donorship. Yeah, so... essentially the same thing? No. So there's a lot of different options for how people can acquire sperm. Mm -hmm. Um, Going through a sperm bank which has donors is definitely one of the biggest options. Um, Some other people use sperm from a friend or a family member. Um, It just kind of depends on, on what they are looking for. Gotcha. Okay. So, so primarily the types of clients or patients that seek that would be women identifying individuals that are just wanting a child, right? I, or, I, that's, that's a dumb question. But. Yeah, I guess um, anyone that is able to become pregnant, so yeah. anyone with a uterus, with right. a cervix, um, who wants to become pregnant but does not have sperm or a partner with sperm, um, that 
they can become pregnant. Thank you. Yeah, this is another one of the episodes that I'm going to keep putting my foot in my mouth over and over again, but for the sake of learning, because uh, that is a concept that was new to me before I came to Howard Brown, is that, like, it's not just, what we, like you said, the the process of growing a family is really binary. Yeah. Uh, when you think about it in terms of, like, representation, and when you imagine, like, a delivery room, it's very geared towards, like, mama and baby. Uh, yes. And so the... I guess our program is is uh, in an effort to kind of cater to people of all gender expressions, uh, anyone who's able to be, to to become pregnant, whatever that is. Uh, and so, um, I think that's refreshing and certainly a concept that I didn't know about. So I'm trying to uh, express that for people listening that might uh, also not be acquainted with that concept. So we have the alternative insemination program for just. Anybody that wants to become pregnant. What other services do we offer? Run. I know you said it in the beginning. We're running down again. So. Yeah. So we also offer quite a few like support groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so we host an alternative insemination support group, which is for anyone, not only patients that are doing alternative insemination through Howard Brown, but anyone who's considering the process. Really just because especially for LGBTQ folks, it can be such an isolating process. Mm-hmm. So finding community a lot of people find other affirming resources through other people in the group. We also host a queer and trans parents meetup. Um, and then one of our past alternative insemination patients facilitates a trans and non-binary pregnancy and conception support group. Uh, okay. That's uh, a concept I've heard more and more about. We, I talked with, um, uh, we had an episode on uh, black maternal health and how uh, we use the concept of like, set, uh, I think it was called centering, um, to kind of uh, create a support group and create a, a group of people who have the same identity as you or share, you know, aspects of the same identity and you're going through the same thing together so you can really uh, feel like you're not alone in a process because we know as good loyal listeners of the podcast that queer people experience a lot of trauma when it comes to healthcare, and that certainly does not stop when it comes to um, growing a family. So um, I think it's vital uh, to provide that sense of community alongside of the the clinical portions that we offer. Um, So, so we, we help people in in growing fit their families do like, I know right now we're uh, kind of pushing a contraceptive campaign um, what do what our services look like uh, when it comes to um, I guess family planning? <laughs> yeah, uh, is is there is there a better word to use that like contraceptives, family planning? Like I always want to make sure that I'm using the right vocabulary too because I don't I you know yeah I think <laughs> so in like deciding our new name mm-hmm. um, we thought a lot about the like language around family planning, family building. Um, and kind of came to the conclusion that anything related to like contraceptives and family planning um, was more the OB gyne team. Gotcha. Um, whereas we're more centered on like family building. Okay. So, so this is this is the positive, so to speak, in that like we're adding and uh, contraceptives is OBGYN. Yeah. Okay. I didn't. I honestly did not know how we had decided to break that up. Whether contraceptives is OBGYN and so so your department strictly handles just family building adding okay yeah so I mean obviously if people come to us for contraceptives we can support them 
um, to getting yeah. clinical support. Yeah, and that's the beauty of Howard Brown, I found, is that, like, if, if you can access one portion of uh, our services, we can refer you anywhere you need to be. Yeah, uh, Even definitely. if you don't, you know, come to the right web. Um, awesome. So in terms of, like, cultural representation of queer family building, I can't really think of, like, aside from... <laughs> there's the the first episode of like Glee uh, Leah Michelle's character was like uh, my dad's mixed their sperm together in a turkey baster and like then they had me like I like aside from that like obviously ridiculous representation there's not like a ton of good uh, representation of of how to build a family as a queer person and yeah. like what it actually looks like in the struggles and and you know you adoption is probably the primary like way that people think of when they think of like queer people building a family. But, um, what challenges would, uh, somebody seeking your services, you know, what challenges would they encounter in queer family building and trying to have children aside from, you know, the logistical challenges, like societal insurance doesn't cover this, does it? Well, actually, there was just a change in legislation, which I'll talk about in a minute. But I feel like, kind of back to what you were saying about representation, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so many options for starting a family. And I think the cool thing about, like, queer family building is that there's, like, it's so outside of how we think of families being constructed. Um... And so I think a lot of the work that we want to do, especially as we expand, is provide options not only for people that want to carry pregnancies, but for resources like adoption, fostering, um, surrogacy, um, cryopreservation for trans and non-binary folks, and like sperm preservation. And also like talking to trans and non-binary folks about their options before starting hormones so they can prepare for if they want to build families mm-hmm. in the future. Um, so I think it's kind of about making sure people have information and making sure they have options. That's, that's really refreshing to hear because yeah, when you, when like, if I'm a queer person that doesn't know all the options out there and I think of media, I think of adoption, but like you said, there's surrogacy, there's, you know, cryopreservation, there's, um, fostering. I mean, certainly when you think of, uh, families, we know they can look like any, any variety of, of ways. So that's it's good to know that Howard Brown kind of embodies that and, and shows people that there's options out there. The second part of my question was, uh, what, uh, what other challenges might, um, somebody face who's looking to build a family aside from just logistical, like acquiring sperm, et cetera. Like I can't begin to imagine the difficulties that like insurance could, could pose and, and just the, the financial cost and logistics and all of that. What does that all look like? Yeah, there's definitely, I'd say financial cost is one of the biggest. Yeah, we do have, I've had this to say this in an episode before, we are located in Chicago, we are recording in Chicago, so you get a little bit of the ambiance of the city, we'll pause just a moment for that to go by. Yeah, so financial cost is definitely a huge barrier. Um, This past January 1st, there was a change in legislation. Wow, I just glitched. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But previously, there was a law that stated um, that anyone that was diagnosed with a diagnosis of infertility um, would be eligible for a series of, like, infertility benefits. So your insurance would be 
required to provide infertility coverage. And that wasn't already the case? So previously, before January 1st, the law specifically stated that infertility was basically when a woman, and this is how the law stated it, when a woman had unprotected sex for over the course of a year that did not result in pregnancy, she would be eligible for infertility coverage. Obviously, there are a lot of women that can have sex with their partners for over the course of a year and not have it result in a pregnancy. Um, But this past January 1st, that legislation changed to include both single individuals um, and queer couples as eligible for infertility um, coverage. So they expanded. So they expanded the the definition of infertility. Um, It still kind of strikes me as a little bit antiquated, just in terms of like, like you said, the wording itself, like a woman, I mean... Yeah, they did take away the word woman. Oh, they which did? Is, okay. Yeah, which okay. is great. Um, so it now says person. Um, it's more gender inclusive um, and also has been expanded to queer folks, single people trying to start families. Well, that's encouraging. Yeah, is it's that definitely the, like, great. One of the only bills related to this or point of legislation, like uh, obviously healthcare is a huge and confusing field and I yeah. don't expect you to be an expert <laughs> on it, but... Uh, it seems like, I don't know, I would expect there to be more, I don't know. We know historically the government's really good at telling people what to do with their bodies. Yep. Uh, so it, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was more legislation associated with this. Am I wrong in that? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> um, I'm not like an expert right. in this legislation. Um, the advocacy department at Howard Brown definitely did a lot of work. Tim Wang did a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Um, to advocate for this change in legislation. I think a lot of our patients are still struggling with their insurance companies accepting coverage. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's still a lot of advocacy to be done. Still a lot of fighting with insurance companies. Oh, I I bet. Um, Aside from insurance, is there any uh, other ways that somebody can can go like if they don't have the financial means and insurance won't cover it what else do you do yeah i think that's that's the challenge and something that i really want to work toward Mm -hmm. um is making it more financially accessible um i recently read a study that was like across income groups people's want to start a family stays about consistent but the way they plan on starting that family drastically changes across income groups. Interesting. And I think a huge part of that is because of what people have access to. Um, resources like IVF can be extremely expensive, but for a lot of folks, that's a huge, one of the biggest and best ways to like build their family. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are grants, there are... Um, some programs that are more financially accessible, but I'd love it for for everybody. Yeah, for everybody to have access. Irrespective of cost. That makes sense. And I'm always interested in like growing up this narrative was pushed a lot that like um gay or queer individuals made for better parents because they had a bigger like stake in it, so to speak. And that like a, a, a straight couple or a straight person could become pregnant extremely easily, accidentally, in fact, and, uh, you know, become parents and might not be well-suited for it. Uh, And queer people have to obviously jump through a lot more hoops so they're more prepared. Uh, 
in your estimation, is there truth to that narrative? Is that an antiquated way of thinking? Should we um, give everybody a little bit more grace when it comes to uh, their ability to be parents and things? I don't know. That's just something when I think of queer family planning, that's like a predominant narrative that I think comes up for me and might for other people. Um, just like the, the level of like forethought that queer people have to put in and how it impacts parenting. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's... Uh, not something worth talking about but it yeah i don't i don't know because we don't we don't really hand or at least your department doesn't handle like after a child is conceived that's a different well what i will say is like the patients that we do work with (laughs) sorry um there is so much planning that goes in to starting a family through not just having sex and Mm -hmm. starting a family and i bet there's a lot of planning that goes into that as well but um there's financial planning like navigating insurance going to doctor's appointments kind of figuring out whatever option is best for people's bodies and people really really want to start families so i maybe not in terms of like a comparison like Mm -hmm. one has more planning than the other but they're like the amount of planning is a lot and like people really do want yeah the families that they're planning for yeah that's an excellent answer and i'm it like to if i had if you had to put a number on it let's say um a a a cis gay couple wants to have a child uh don't have insurance how much money would that cost i mean that's the it depends so much on like like if if they want to do adoption or if they want to do surrogacy um the cost just varies so drastically depending on the option gotcha um because like like if i were to say like fifty thousand, is that high or low do you think i would say like middle middle ground i mean for like for adoption surrogacy like middle ground okay um i think if you're doing like alternative insemination it also depends on what insurance you have like Mm -hmm. that can make cost vary from like zero dollars to like hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah which is also so many factors yeah feed into it so maybe that was an unfair question of me to (laughs) ask but i i always like when i came out uh and like talked to my mom about you know what i wanted my family to look like in the future she's like it's hugely expensive and so uh i had been told numbers like that and i wanted to know if they were off base but i i don't think they are um the other pretty aspect, that, yeah, pretty pretty average. The other aspect I wanted to touch on is like, um, like um, social dynamics of queer family building because, um, so I my, not that it's the same, but my sister was a single mom, is a single mom, and uh, she lived with my parents and I for the last four years. I moved here in June, so before that I was playing a large part in raising my niece. So when it came to things like parent-teacher conferences and like even just going out when it was just my sister and I and my niece, they would always assume I was the dad uh, and things like that. So I have like a, my own version or a little taste of what like being part of like a unconventional family would look like um, because I, you know, would break my niece places and they're like, oh, you're her father. And it's like, no, actually I'm an uncle. And, and part of our raising her was like every family looks different uh but that's kind of hard for we've we had encountered um situations where like other kids weren't taught that same thing and and then it creates for 
a difficult conversations, not only between the kids, but between parents and with teachers to be like, is your, are you, is your teaching inclusive of the fact that families all look different and kids come from different places? And uh, what, you know, what resources do we offer for families that are having to have those hard conversations um, or plan to have those hard conversations? Because that's not something that uh, everybody's necessarily prepared for, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of, like, the queer and trans parent support group is just talking about what it's like to be in a family that is not always recognized. Um, I, this huge coincidence considering my job now, but I have two moms, actually, um, and similarly got a lot of assumptions about, like, what my family looked like, um, people being confused about, like, how I was born, um, and just about, like, what my family looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think now thinking about it through people kind of starting that process is really interesting. Um, but, yeah, we offer the queer and trans parent support group and then try to connect people to, like, communities and supports within their own neighborhoods um, to kind of find resources through navigating yeah. that challenge. Yeah, but it's, it's hard. I can imagine, and it seems obviously, like you said, a crazy coincidence, but it's it's cool that you kind of get to take that lived experience and parlay it into your career. And that's something I value about Hard Ground in general, because nine times out of ten, the people that are providing these services, whether it's, you know, a general practitioner in the, in, you know, the clinic or career family planning or whatever it is, um, everybody has a, a, a personal stake in what they do. Um, and I think that's kind of what sets us apart. So that's cool to hear. What's what's the hardest part of your job day to day? I like to ask everybody that because it always varies. Is it logistics, time, other things? What I think it's it's honestly helping people navigate benefits. I, it's such like a waiting game. Mm. Um, because a lot of times are they like filing special requests that you have to like wait yeah, so from. a lot of times, especially, like, with infertility coverage, it's filing for infertility coverage yeah. and waiting for that to be accepted. Um, there's just so much waiting that can be really hard to, like, help patients right. like, I, navigate that. Like we're just waiting. There's nothing yeah. really else to do in this in spare time. But, I mean, it's... Do you, do you personally see a, a, a patient through, like first visit all the way through like conception and birth or is it like like do you get that that gratification of being with somebody through the entire process um well typically so we see people as they begin the process of like even thinking about starting a family um once they are pregnant they usually move on to either pediatrics at howard brown Mm -hmm. or wherever Right, they so they don't usually circle care. back around to your office necessarily. But they often, the cool part is they often do. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll have patients all the time. I'd say almost all of the patients that have gotten pregnant through Howard Brown have come back and, like, send us pictures of the babies and mm. kind of reach back out. Um, or we'll, like, join support groups once they have. They'll move yeah. on from, like, the alternative insemination support group to the family support group, which is cool. Um, that's perfect that I'm glad that you get that like not payoff because that's a bad way to put it but like that validation that you know there there is 
are whole individuals coming from your efforts. I yeah. It's when when you think of like people in that field, you think of like the nurse that delivered me, or you know the you know doctor that helped with my um, C section or whatever. But you don't necessarily think of like you know you who helped <laughs> somebody get pregnant in the first place. Like yeah. that's I feel like just as instrumental as any of the actual healthcare providers. Yeah. So I mean, and like the providers play such a huge part, like especially with the alternative insemination program. Um, Dr. Moore, Shirley, Liz, Dominique have all, that's like our clinical team. They've mm-hmm. all, nothing would have been done without them. So shout out to them. Yeah. Shout uh, out to them. What are, I was also like to ask this question, question, what are some misconceptions people have when it comes to what you do when it comes to queer family planning, queer family building? Well, yeah, our name change just happened like Mm -hmm. two weeks ago. So I think we're still in the process of like clarifying, just announcing that we're not women's health anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think most of our work is kind of, I mean, at this point, since it's so new, just expanding on the work that we had already been doing and trying to let people know what we're doing. Yeah, spread the word. That's, that's. The whole point of the podcast, right, is yeah. to to ask these questions and have these conversations so that things like the alternative insemination program aren't like mysterious or taboo to talk about. Very normal. Uh, I mean, I, it always strikes me that like growing up in a really predominantly straight community, that people are always like we're trying for a baby uh, and very open about like talking about like uh, you know trying to get pregnant, whatever, or, you know, I am pregnant, this is what the process looks like, but the process of, like, either artificial insemination or adoption or anything like that felt very taboo and, like, closed off, and, like, nobody would really talk about that if there was anybody to talk about it in the first place. So I'm uh, appreciative that, like, Howard Brown takes these efforts to, like, you know, have a podcast episode about it and kind kind of normalize things. We're approaching the end of our time, so if, is there uh, any parting words you want to leave on behalf of your department or um, any kind of nugget of wisdom to share with people? Because the audience is nationwide, uh, actually international. I occasionally get a, a few <laughs> listeners in like uh, Canada or UK. I actually had one in like Turkmenistan randomly, but I think that might have been an error That's uh, cool. <laughs> uh so so i guess uh, your audience globally about uh queer family planning um what if, what if somebody isn't in chicago or doesn't have access to a queer family planning agency are there online resources how do they go about this if howard brown doesn't exist yeah um so for anyone that does not live in chicago all of our support groups are virtual right now so anyone um, can join from anywhere yeah. <laughs> um Maybe even internationally, so... Time zones, who knows, but... Yeah, you know. time zones, I'm not sure <laughs> sure about, but um, you can check out our website. So we have a page on the Howard Brown website that lists all our services, all our groups. Perfect. Um, send us an email if you have any questions. Yeah. Um, we're always looking to, like, build our resources and build our partnerships, so even for people in other cities, if we can try to connect them with affirming resources, we will. That's perfect. Try. Well, yeah, do your best. Um, awesome. Well, uh, the second part of the question, any, uh, aside from how to get connected, is there any, um, 
other anything else you need to share on behalf of Grey Feather Fairy? I don't think so. That might be it. <laughs> uh, from my end, I'll say normalize or at least expand your view of what a family looks like and where a family comes from. Yeah. Uh, I was always grateful when, you know, people didn't assume when it came to my own family and my niece and everything. Uh, and I think we would all be better served if we kind of pass along that uh, to everybody, whether, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, if you have a child in school, teaching your children that families are different and come from everywhere, or if you're open, you know, you're a young professional to um, extend that openness to people you might encounter on your day-to-day, -day, who knows? Yeah. Uh, the the reoccurring theme here on the podcast is to kind of see people as whole people and not just patients with symptoms or, you know, a single identifying factor. So I guess if, if I had to sum up the episode, that's, yeah. that's what I take away from it. But Karita, thank you so much for coming. Uh, thank you so much for your work in queer family planning. We appreciate it. So yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you. Yeah, you summed it up beautifully. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, and that is about our episode on queer family building. If you are interested in anything we said on this episode, you can go to www.howardbrown.org for more information. Thanks for listening.